You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. The book of 3 John. So if you would find it, and as you find it, if you wouldn't mind standing, out of respect of God's word this, this morning, 3 John is where we will be. We're going to continue in our series on family traits today. And over the last few months, we've walked through the book of 1 John, and uh, that took a few months. Then last week, we did 2 John all in one go. So I was pretty proud of that, to get through that whole book. And uh, now we come uh, to 3 John, which is about the same length as the book of 2 John. These are actually the two shortest books in the Bible. And I believe, though, that we'll probably spend a couple of weeks in the book of 3 John and uh, a couple of different points I want to make out of this book. T- today we'll read the entire letter and focus our attention primarily on the first 10 verses. So the book of 3 John, and we will read the entire letter. It's only 14 verses total, focusing primarily verses 1 through 10. It says in 3 John, verse 1, The elder under the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And that might be every parent's desire to be able to say that my children, there's no greater joy than when our children walk in truth. Verse 5, it says, Beloved, thou, dost do, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, and here's kind of our key phrase, that we might be fellow helpers, to the truth, helpers of the truth, to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, Follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write. It's kind of how we ended Second John. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee. And we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends. Salute thee. Greet the friends by name. Today we'll be covering a thought, primarily again in verses 1 through 10, that I'm calling this morning the greatest hindrance to truth. And a more memorable way to say it today might be um, walls of pride means truth denied. So the greatest hindrance to truth, walls of pride means truth denied. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would bless it and help our minds to be focused. Help me to convey clearly what the passage says. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we look into John's third letter here, we see again many of the same themes and thoughts that were covered in his first two letters. They're just applied in a more specific situation. And if you read all three of John's letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you begin to see that they progress from general application or from a general audience to a more specific and more specific audience. In 1st John, he doesn't really address a particular readership as much as he gives, he says, little children. So he's applying the the entire letter to anybody that's a part of God's family, the, the children, in 2 John, it was written to a lady and her children and, and her family, or it, 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 we see that in verse 1 of that letter, and that could be a lady, a specific lady and her family, or it could be a, a, a picture of a church, and he's calling the church the lady and her children. We don't know for sure, but we do know there's a more specific uh, target audience or readership there, and those truths, whether or not to, they're, they're to that lady and her family, or to a church in the, that church family, those truths in 2 John apply to all of us. And last week we talked about allowing the right people into our circle. Well, we get more specific here in 3 John. It narrows it in even more. In this book, he's writing actually to a particular man, and this man's name is Gaius. And Gaius is the walking embodiment of the right kind of family member. He, all the traits that we've been talking about over the last few months... If you were to give an example of those traits, you could almost see them all in Gaius. He's that kind of a man. He exhibits the traits that we should all desire. And we'll look at those shortly. But John then mentions two other individuals here in this letter. One is named Diotrephes, and the other's name is Demetrius. So it may get a little bit confusing about which D name we're talking about. Diotrephes is the opposite to Gaius here. He's full of pride and he is seeking to lift himself up in the church. He does not exhibit, exhibit the family traits we've been talking about. He wants nothing to do with the Apostle John. He doesn't want anyone to come into the church and infringe on his territory. And we'll look more at that characteristic uh, from Diotrephes. The fr- third individual mentioned here in the letter is a man named Demetrius. And many believe um, there in verse 12 is where John talks about Demetrius. And many believe that Demetrius is the one delivering the letter for John. So um, he is, John is writing the letter, and many believe that Demetrius is the one carrying the letter and taking it to Gaius, who is the target of the letter, who is supposed to be reading it. And uh, he, Demetrius is much like Gaius. He is uh, similar in character. He's godly. He has a great testimony. He's consistent, and he has a heart for God. Uh, my plan today is, fo- is to focus on the first two, Gaius and Diotrephes, and then look more closely at Demetrius next week. And as we look at these first two men, they're opposite in character, they're opposite in spirit. And we need to just understand these are two men that are on polar opposites of the spectrum. And I want you to consider two categories today that I believe will help us to wrap our minds around John's message today. You've got one category of people that help the work of God. So over here we're going to say that this is the category of people This is the kind of person that in their life, they help the work of God to be advanced. On the other other side, 
then you have this other category, and these are the people that hinder the work of God. Their lives and their behavior and their words and their actions hinder God's work. So we've got two categories. On one side, you've got those helping God's work. On the other side, you've got those hindering God's work. And I think that John actually really addresses that point as a bit of a hinge in this book there in verse 8, when he says, We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Look at it there, verse 8. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Fellow helpers to the truth. So you have these two men, Gaius and Demetrius, the last one talked about, and I believe that these men are helpers to the truth. These are the kind of men, and we will read and we'll look at it, they're the kind of men whose actions and words and lifestyle and commitment to the truth, they actually help the truth. They help the word of God to be advanced, their fellow helpers of the truth. Then on the other side, then, we have this man, Diotrephes, and he definitely fits into the category of those that hinder the truth. So you have those that are helping the truth, those that are hindering the truth. Diotrephes is the man in this text that definitely is over there. See, one major trait found in any genuine member of the family is that they're willing to set aside their own desires and their own agendas in order to help the work of God. And it takes that, doesn't it, sometimes? If we're the kind of people that try to make it all about ourselves, then God's work is not being helped. These, the people over here, are willing to be inconvenienced for the truth. They don't make it about themselves. And, and either, listen, either you come first or God comes first. Either we put ourselves first in the work of God or God is first. A genuine member of the family is willing to, to be last so that God's work in his truth can be first. So that God's work in his truth can be advanced. And so we start that process of thinking about those that help and those that hinder. We start by looking at this man named Gaius, this man who is willing to put truth first so the work of God can be helped. We don't know exactly who he was. He had some influence in this local church. He could have been the pastor. We don't know if he wasn't the pastor. He's at least a layman who has influence and authority with the people. What we do know, though, is that John loved and respected him. Look at verse 1. It says, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. I think it's pretty obvious right up front that John loves this man. He's the kind of man that is a helper of the truth. And even more in verse 2, he says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. And I want you to think about what he's saying there. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. That word means to succeed and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. So, obviously, Gaius is an extremely spiritual person. And John is saying, by John saying, thy soul prospereth, he's saying that you are a successful spiritual person. And I don't know, he's not trying to lift Gaius up, but that's the way he's choosing to describe it. He prospers. John's saying then, I hope that you will be as prosperous physically as you are spiritually. It was a common greeting in those days to wish someone good health. And that's what he's saying. He's saying that Gaius was so prosperous spiritually that John says, I hope that your physical health will match your spiritual health. And you know, we live in a country that has that flipped, don't we? 
See, so many are taking care of themselves. And listen, I'm not, trying, I'm not saying that you shouldn't take care of yourself. You should. We should be exercising. We should be working and taking care of the temple that God has given us. But so many are taking care of themselves physically while their spiritual lives are in shambles. They're working on their body. They're working on their health. They're focusing all their attention, but their spiritual lives are not prospering. There's so much focus on physical self-improvement to the neglect of the soul in our country. And if you're, so if your body matched the condition of your spiritual life, would anyone say that you're in good health this morning? If your body, the outside, was a reflection of the kind of prosperous spiritual life or not prosperous spiritual life going on on the inside, would anybody look at you and say, you're in good health? See, how healthy is your soul right now? A person that helps the work of God must be spiritually healthy. And I I saw an advertisement this week or heard about something called the mirror, and maybe you've heard of this. It's an interactive home gym, as if we need another one of those. Well, it is unique in that when it's turned off and just hanging on the wall, if you look at it, it literally looks like a nice mirror. But if you go up to it and turn it on, suddenly there's your own little personal trainer in the mirror. It's a little creepy. In the mirror, and you choose what exercise you want to do, and your, and your little personal self-trainer in the mirror is walking you through the exercises. I mean, it's, I mean some might think it's kind of a cool idea, but to me, I, the, I guess the reason is that while you're working out, your little personal self-trainer is teaching you what to do or showing you what to do, and you can watch yourself in the mirror at the same time. And first, I want to say to that, the last thing I want to see in the mirror is me working out. I mean, if I'm going to be encouraged to continue working out, I don't want to see what's coming back at me. So it's a little creepy to me to have, there's all, all a person in the mirror, And then I'm also in the mirror. If the other person was the only one there, maybe that would be okay. But second, I do think it's an accurate reflection of the mentality in our culture in that when it comes to physical self-improvement, we're all about it. As a matter of fact, we love to see our reflection of us trying to improve our physical lives. But when it comes to someone opening the Word of God as a mirror, the Bible calls itself, and showing or confronting people where they are on a spiritual basis, if you look at the numbers of church attendance and those who even claim faith at all, you see those numbers plummeting. Nobody wants to be confronted anymore with truth to see where they are spiritually. But when it comes to physical self-improvement in our country, we're all about that. We ought to be as passionate about our spiritual condition and how often we look into God's mirror as we are about our physical condition and checking ourselves out in a physical mirror. And here's the reason, because your spiritual life is a far more accurate measurement of your health. We can be as healthy as we want to be, but if our soul is not prospering, we're really in bad shape. It's a family trait to be spiritually healthy and prosperous. That's the first family trait that I see out of Gaius from John's writing here. Look at verse 3. 
He says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So John had, had heard back from certain brethren that had been with Gaius. They had observed him, and they brought back this report that says that the truth had impacted Gaius's life. See, some people are good at talking. They talk the talk. Other people talk it and walk it. That's Gaius. He's not the kind of man that says, oh yeah, I believe in the truth and these are the things that I believe on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, he's out doing something completely different. No, Gaius was a Sunday through Sunday kind of a guy. He says, this is what I believe. This is the change that God, the truth has made in my life. And Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, I say it on Sunday, but I live it Monday through Saturday. He's not a hypocrite. He's not the kind of guy that that is doing one thing in church and doing another outside of church. Hypocrites say one thing and do another. That's not the kind of man he is. You want to help the work of God? You want to be in this category over here? Be spiritually healthy, but also be willing. If you're going to say you believe it, live it Monday through Saturday. You want to help the work of God? There's probably, I don't know that there's a a single characteristic among God's people that hinders the work of God more than how they live Monday through Saturday. In that, have you ever met somebody that used to go to church? You ever met somebody that was raised in church or they used to be heavily involved? What's one of the primary reasons they say they don't go to church anymore? The hypocrites. And I look at that and I say, well, that's, it really is just an excuse because people do what they want to do. We can all agree with that. But on the other hand, I do think it is a problem in that God's people, if they say it on Sunday and they're not living it the rest of the week, they are hypocritical. And so what we ought to do as members of the family who do not want to hinder the truth but want to help it, we ought to say, I refuse to give anybody an excuse not to stay in church. I'm not going to be the reason. And they'll make their own choice, but they won't ever be able to look at me and say that my life, Monday through Saturday, is the reason they don't come to church anymore. So refuse to give somebody the excuse, and you can help the word of God. You can help the work and the truth. Look at verse 5. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. See, apparently there are some, I'm going to call them missionaries for our sake today. These were men, their brethren, that knew John, and they, but they were strangers to Gaius, but they had been blessed by Gaius's hospitality. They had been blessed by the way that Gaius received them. They weren't just random strangers. In verse 7 it says that for his name's sake they went forth. So these are men, these are brethren, and maybe men and women, we don't know for sure, but these is a group of people that were taking God's name forth. I'm going to call them missionaries. We might call them evangelists. Maybe they were in full-time service in some way, and this group that John knew had gone to Gaius and met him. They were traveling, and they had stopped in to see him. And what we, based on what we read here, is that Gaius had welcomed them with open arms and that he had helped them to prosper on their journey, providing for their needs. They report back to John that Gaius helped bring them forward on their journey after a godly sword, which means that Gaius helped outfit them for their journey in a way that was appropriate for God's work. 
That's a pretty good testimony. I mean, he was obviously hospitable. That's a good family trait, by the way. You go over to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and you see one of the requirements for a bishop is that he's hospitable. You want to be somebody who reflects Jesus Christ, be hospitable. Have people in your home that are good influences in your home, of course, as we heard last week. But if they're workers or servants of God, receive them. Be hospitable to them. Do things for them that would help them to take the name of God forth as, we, as we're reading here. Uh, be open to that. When we have missionaries come through, say to yourself, I want to take them out for supper. I want to I go encourage them and talk to them and, and pray for them. Be an encouragement. Be hospitable. Uh, we know Gaius obviously has a heart for the gospel. You cannot be all in as a family member if you don't consistently engage in the work of the gospel. You can't. A local church which has been tasked with the Great Commission, which means spreading the gospel, disciples, which is what we are, have the primary task of making sure the gospel gets to those that have not heard. You ought to have a heart both to present the gospel to people that you meet, but also then to help those who have given their lives to that. You ought to be actively engaged on a weekly basis. You ought to have a testimony, but you also ought to be actively inviting people. You ought to be spreading the gospel. That's a mark of a disciple. You ought to be spreading the gospel and giving to those that do. Member of Eastside Baptist Church, I want you to consider your heart this morning in sharing the gospel and then also in giving money to help others do the same. Would you say that your effort personally and your finances are helping or hindering the work of God? Your involvement in those that are taking the name of God, are you involved personally, financially? It's a, fine, it's a family trait to be involved in sharing and giving of the gospel. And in all this, one word stands out. And I think that this is kind of the word that colors everything about Gaius. Look at verse 5. He says, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever. So here's a man, everything that he did to help in the work of God, he was faithful. That means he, was, he could be trusted. It means he can be relied on. I'm telling you, I've never in my life felt as grateful for people that you knew were going to be there than I am as a pastor. I mean, there are certain things it's like I just know on Saturday nights, I know that Mike Steen is going to be at prayer meeting. And I'm thankful for men that I know are just going to be there. I'm thankful for the ones that I know, choir, 915, when I come in here at 914 and I'm getting ready for practice, I know there are certain people, Sandy Collins, she's going to be, uh, is that awkward to sign your own name over there? Sorry about that. A little self-promoting, Miss Sandy. I know that Sandy Collins is going to be sitting in her place before 915 ready for choir because she takes it seriously. So if what activity or ministry or service or event on a weekly basis or a daily basis could your name be attached to to say, they're going to be there. They're faithful. They can be relied on. They can be trusted. What event or activity or service or ministry is your name attached to? And we just know no matter what, they're going to be there. I have to stop and ask, how faithfully do you do the work of God? How consistently are you involved in, in giving or in telling others of the gospel? 
A family member is so passionate about the work of God that nothing will stop them from giving of their time and giving of their resources to make sure it's brought forward, as John says. They do it faithfully. When I think about this man who's helping the work of God, I can't help but imagine this is the, the portrait. This is almost like if John was a painter and he could help us visualize the kind of traits that every family member should have. He's, he's got his canvas and he's got his paints out and his brushes and he's, he's painting. And he's painting the image of a family member that bears family traits. And I believe on the other side, after he's done with the painting, here's this man and he'll put on top of it, the title is Gaius. He's the man who exhibits all the things that John is talking about. He knew truth, he lived it out. He was consistent, he was no hypocrite. He, he loved the work of God. He loved God's servants so much that he gave of himself to them. He poured himself into the work of the gospel. It was real to him and he was faithful. Folks, we need more family members to approach the work of God like Gaius did. In other words, his testimony and his example helped God's work instead of hindering God's work. He was willing to put God's work first above himself. And I hope that you'll be that kind of helper of the truth because the alternative is not nearly as appealing. A man named Diotrephes. We don't know exactly who Diotrephes was. We also know that he was influential. The best way to sum up Diotrephes, I believe, is he is the opposite of everything that Gaius is. According to verse 9, it says, I wrote unto the church, John says, But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. So apparently, John had written a letter to the church, and, and Diotrephes was having none of it. This man had rejected it. He refused to hear John's teaching. And John is saying that Diotrephes is someone who loves to have the preeminence. Preeminence means they love to be first. You know, like that kid at, in school, in grade school, who at every time it was time to line up and go to lunch, who was the first one in line? It's that kid. The first. He loves to have the preeminence. And I wish I could have stated it that articulately in second grade, that Bobby loves to have the preeminence, teacher. He's always got to be first. You know that guy. They're always first in line. They're always rushing to get what's first and to be first. Well, it's fine for a second grader, but here's a grown man doing the work of God, and he always has to be first. He has to win every argument. He has to control every conversation. He has to get every last word. They re he refuses to give in when someone has an opposite of opinion. All of us can be that way. Diotrephes is forever known as being that way. He's prideful, he's arrogant, and he's out to build and protect this little kingdom that he's making at all costs. And what it makes it especially grievous this morning is that this is his attitude toward God's work. If there should be any area in which we are, are not seeking preeminence to be first, it should be God's work. It's about God, not about us. This appeal of self-promotion, it appeals to us. But it shows up in a lot of ways in Diotrephes. First, we, we see in verse 9, and we won't go through these in, in detail, but he rejects John's authority, meaning that John wrote, wrote a letter and wanted to influence the church, and yet he wouldn't even let the letter be read in the church. He, he, he rejected John's authority. I mean, no one is more qualified to have respect and authority 
than the Apostle John. This man is the last living apostle. He walked with Jesus for over three years. And here's Diotrephes the saying, no, yeah, this man, he doesn't have authority here. We don't want to listen to him. Now, how, what, what, a, what a prideful a- attitude Diotrephes has to think that he knows more about Jesus Christ or about, or about Christianity or about being a family member or about a local church than John the Apostle. He's also, we see in verse 10, wherefore if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words. And that word prating is empty accusations. So he's falsely accusing John of, of who knows what in order to make himself look better. That's the typical bully, isn't it? The bully that tries to tear everybody else down to make themselves look better. Well, that's what Diotrephes is doing to John. Not only that, it says not content with therewith, or he's saying he wasn't content to just falsely accuse us, not content to stop there, neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. So he says, not only is he saying, yeah, um, you know, I, I don't believe that John has authority here. We don't want to hear his letters. Not content therewith, he says. He says, not just that, then the brethren that came along, these missionaries that came along that were trying to spread the name of God, these missionaries that were God's servant, remember the ones that are doing the work of God. Diotrephes said, yeah, we don't, we, we, they're not allowed here. We don't welcome them. We don't receive them. And not only that, he would told the church, he said, if you receive them, if you help the servants of God that John sends, then I will kick you out of the church. Can you imagine the, I mean, the audacity of this man? He loves to have the preeminence. He's doing everything he can to protect himself. You know, listen, when we make God's work about us, we might help our cause, but we hinder God's. And it shows up in a lot of ways if we're unwilling to serve to protect our own time. You know, and, I, I, and I'm trying to be sensitive to time these days. No, it seems like nobody has time. But if you're going to make a difference for God, you're going to have to at some point every week on a weekly basis be willing to give up something of yourself to further the kingdom. That's just the way it is. That's life. And you say, well, you know, it's my only morning off. But in churches all over the country, thousands and millions of Christians every Saturday morning are out there sharing the gospel on their only day off too. And yet we get so protective of our time and we say, well, you know, I'm unwilling to give up my time. It's the only day off I have. I'm protecting it. And when we do that, when that's our attitude, we hinder the work of God. Or maybe you're difficult to work with or to serve alongside. When you make it all about yourself or we make it all about us and we can't be working with somebody else, we hinder the work of God. Or if our attitude is, well, I want to be in the spotlight. I want to be the one out leading. I want to be the one that's in charge. I want to get the attention. When we do that, we hinder the work of God. A desire to be first goes against the very spirit of a disciple of Jesus Christ. In Luke 9, he said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, the primary trait, the primary family trait of a disciple is to deny himself. And yet we live in a culture where nobody likes to be told no, much less tell themselves no. That, that separates you from the rest. 
is when you deny yourself willingly because Diotrephes refused to humble himself for the greater good and now he will forever be recorded as a hinderer of God's work because of his attitude. So on one hand, we have Gaius, who, a portrait of the kind of family member every one of us should be. He helped God's work. He, he had a spirit of sacrifice and a spirit of humility. And then on the other hand, we have Diotrephes. He's the opposite of what a family member should be. He hindered the work of God because he wanted to be first. The attitude of one helps the work of God. The attitude of the other hinders the work of God. And John clearly, very clearly, presents two men with two opposite spirits and their, their contrasting effects on the work of God. The servants of God, these missionaries, were trying to go out and they were trying to share the gospel. Diotrephes would have none of it and he hindered the work of God there. Yet Gaius is the kind of man that says, it's not about me, it's about the work of God. John says, Gaius, your spirit, your approach to God's work means that you put your Christ first and yourself last. Diotrephes, on the other hand, he puts himself first and makes everything else secondary, including the work of God. Gaius' willingness to humble himself and not make it all about him allowed the work of God to flourish. I think about it like a water hose. You know, you ever tried to get water through a hose and there's a kink in the hose and you can't find it. The water's not coming out. Listen, whenever we have no kinks in the hose and everything's turned on and it's all open, the water just flows out. We all understand that analogy. When you have a spirit that doesn't make it about yourself in God's work, instead you say, it's not about me, it's about God. You open yourself up to be a conduit through which God's work can flow and instead of hindering it, you help it. On the other hand, though, if you have a me-first attitude that says, well, it's all about me, and I want the preeminence, and I want the attention, and I have to have things my way, it's like the water is turned on, but there's a kink in the hose. And not just a kink, somebody's tied it in a knot, and you're not going to get water out of that hose no matter how hard you try. If your attitude is a me-first spirit that says it's all about me, you are hindering the work of God from working through you. Diotrephes was me first. He loved the preeminence. His mindset hindered the work. Who knows? And I'm just thinking, you know, it's recorded here in 3 John. Who knows how long he had an effect on this church? But who knows how many souls were not affected for God because this man put a kink in the hose? We need to consider that. When we make life about ourselves, we don't give as we should to the work of God. We don't stop and tell somebody the gospel on our busy days. We're so busy and about us that we hinder the work and the lives of people that desperately need the truth. Are you so wrapped up in a me-first mentality that your spirit and lack of involvement has hindered the work of God? Is your spirit hindering God's work in this church? Eastside Baptist Church, do you have a spirit of me-first and you're, you're hindering the work, uh, and you're thinking, well, it's about me, and I want my way, and I wanted the preeminence. And I, If that's the case, you're hindering God's work. And not only that, we need to go to Philippians 2 and look at the life of Christ. And if we're going to have the mind of Christ, Jesus Christ himself, who's the one and only, even he didn't make it about himself. Go to Philippians 2 and see, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who, who, was, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. 
He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So there's Jesus Christ, the one and only, and even he doesn't make it about himself. When we try to serve in a church community and make it about ourselves, we hinder the work of God. Is a me-first mentality hindering the work of God in this community? God wants us to reach Sioux Falls for Christ, and he wants us to be a part of it. Have we become unwilling to give of ourselves to see that happen? Are we hindering the work of God through our missions or lack of missions giving? How's your heart to help others do the work and take the gospel where it's needed? Are you contributing? Because a me-first mentality is the greatest hindrance to the work of God. It's pride. And we must be careful of our pride hindering the effect of truth. But I want you to consider one more point today. Because it doesn't only hinder the work of God in a church, and it doesn't only hinder the work of God in a community, and it doesn't only hinder the work of God out there through missions and through the servants of God that just need some help and support. It doesn't just hinder the work of God out there. The me-first attitude of Diotrephes also hinders the work of God or hindered the work of God in his own heart. It didn't just stop the work or the flow of God in other places. It stopped the work of God in his own heart. See, when we make our lives all about us, we don't want to hear anything that confronts us where we are. And when a person is proud, he's so full of himself, there's no room for truth. It's almost like he takes a defensive stance toward truth. If it's not what he wants to hear, it's, he's like a soccer goalie. You know, a real good soccer goalie, the ball comes and he does whatever he can to deflect it. You know, some, don't tell me I need to change. Get it out of here. Don't tell me what I don't want to hear. Get it out of here. Don't tell me that I'm wrong. Get it out of here. Truth comes in and he does whatever he can to protect his net of pride from anything coming in that's not about him. Diotrephes is doing that in a local church. I'm first. If it's not about me, get it out of here. But the same thing, and I want you to think about this, the same exact thing that he was doing in that church, he was doing in his own heart. Pride is the greatest hindrance to truth. Loving preeminence is like building a kingdom because every kingdom needs a throne for us to sit on. But if I'm going to sit on a throne, I'm going to have to have a castle. And if I'm, if I'm, I'm going to build a castle, I've got to build some walls and a moat to protect my little kingdom that I've got to sit on the throne of. And we go through all these links of uh, uh, you know, building our kingdom and building our throne and building our castle and building these walls. And the problem with pride is it's not just about protecting our hearts, it's about preserving our kingdoms. And those walls of pride, they keep everything out, including truth. Truth that we need to hear. See, in a lot of ways, we're willing to take in truth it will, if it will, like I said earlier, we were talking about physical versus spiritual. We're willing to hear truth it will, if it will help us physically. In the same way that you need a doctor, we'll, we'll let a doctor tell us an on, honest diagnosis because we want to get better. But in the same way that you need a doctor's diagnosis, you need to be confronted with your sin because sin destroys you. We're more than willing to listen to a tornado siren. Because it protects us. But in the same way that you need a tornado siren, you need someone that, you need to know that unless you have Christ, you don't have eternal life. We're willing to 
to look as we go through an intersection to make sure there's not a car driving through the red light and we need to protect ourselves and we're willing to look. But in the same way that you need to see the car in the red light, you need to know that judgment is coming and you may not have tomorrow. So you need to know there's a heaven and there's a hell and your response to your sin today could determine where you end up. See, we accept truth that affects us physically, but for some reason when it comes to our spiritual lives, we're resistant. We're inside our castle. We're sitting on our throne behind our walls. Nobody gets in. We're truth goalies. Get it out of here. If you've built walls of pride, you may be ensuring the protection of your kingdom, but you are also ensuring the prevention of truth. It can't get inside. The greatest hindrance to truth and God's work in you is pride. Walls of pride, truth denied. You're putting a stop to God's work in your life if you've built walls of pride. God's work in your life is dependent on your willingness to accept truth. If you're not open to truth, I want you to think about two verses, Proverbs 16, 18. It says, pride goeth before destruction. And in haughty spirit before a fall. So for you to sit inside your castle behind your walls and say, nobody tells me anything that I don't want to hear. You are leading your life yourself to destruction and a fall. James 4, 6 says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. If you're sitting in your castle on your throne behind your walls and you're full of pride and nobody can tell you what to do, it's not just me or, or your friends that are against you, it's God himself. He resists you. This me first preeminence, truth goalies, building walls, pride, whatever you want to call it, it never ends well. It always ends in destruction. It puts you at odds with God. Listen, you and I, we need truth. We need it. John 8, 32 says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You will never be free from what binds you until you allow truth in. Psalm 145, 18 says, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him to all that call upon him in truth. God is near you if you know the truth and you ask him in truth for help, but if not, he's nowhere near you. John 14, 6 Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The only way to spend eternity in heaven with God is through Jesus Christ who calls himself truth. And if your pride is hindering the work of God in your life and truth can't get past the walls, then you cannot be saved. Salvation only takes place in a humble heart. We miss out on the effects of truth in our lives if we have a me-first mindset. And it's time to lay aside some pride today and open yourself up to truth so that God can work in you. Think of two ways to do that. Number one, put yourself in a position to hear truth. And by that, I mean it's time for you to break out that old dusty Bible that you haven't read in a long time and open it and start to try to hear from God through his word again. Put yourself in a position to hear truth by getting into a local church where, you're here, where you will hear preaching. And long ago when you turned it off because you were tired of listening to it, it's time to open yourself up to it and knock the walls down so that truth can come in. Because if you don't have truth and you've got pride, you are headed for destruction. It's time to get back into a local church that truth can get into you through. 
It's time that friend that you turned off years ago, that you stopped listening to because you were tired of hearing their sermons, or kids in here, you're tired of hearing your parents tell you truth, you're tired of hearing it all the time, it's time to say, no, I'm open to it again because if I don't have truth, I have pride and pride leads to destruction and I don't want to end up that way. It's time to open yourself back up to that godly friend or that godly influence who wants your best. So put yourself in a position to hear truth. And when you do finally hear truth, apply it and change. Because a lot of us, we're good at hearing truth. And we're like, oh yeah, that sounds really good. But when it comes to actually making a change, we're terrible at it. But James 1 says, if we hear and we never do, we deceive ourselves. Have you built walls around your life? And I'm almost done. Have you built walls around your life that prevent truth and God's work? You've stopped coming to church or listening so you don't have to be confronted about the choices you're making. Knock down some walls. Let God's truth determine your decisions. You've stopped reading your Bible. No wonder there's turmoil. Are you better off with God's truth working in you or not? You stop listening to your parents, those friends. Maybe it's time to stop blocking truth. Allow them to be used by God to work in your life. Truth makes you free. Without it, you're in bondage. Your mindset either helps or hinders God's work, not just out there, but also in you. And if you've made life all about you and you're sitting on your throne of preeminence, God's work has stopped. His truth can't get through the walls. And you are guaranteeing that instead of God's truth making you what you should be, pride will be your destruction because someday those walls that you spent so many years trying to build are going to collapse. And it'll be all around you. And in that moment, you won't be able to seek truth again when your world comes crashing down. You'll wish that way back when, when some preacher got up and preached out of 3 John, that you would have thrown the walls down yourself and preserved your life from all the years of heartache that are ahead for some of you. The greatest hindrance to truth is when God's people make their lives about themselves instead of Christ. Diotrephes. They hinder God's work in every way, both in others and in themselves. Walls of pride means truth denied. And without truth, your spiritual life is headed to destruction. Today, it's time for someone in this room to humble yourself. In light of God's truth, confess your sin. For some of you, you've never received Christ as your Savior and you've been denying that. You've never humbled yourself. No man comes to the Father except through Christ the truth. And it's time for you to knock down the walls of pride and self-righteousness. Knock them down and let truth penetrate and change you and take you to heaven someday. For some of you, you've been a child of God for a long time, but you've built a little kingdom back in junior church. Or you've built a little kingdom in this area of ministry Or in the music ministry, this is my kingdom, this is what I do, and nobody can encroach upon this. No, when we make it about ourselves, we actually hinder the work of God. It's not about us. It's God's work. Maybe it's time for somebody in a little kingdom to knock the walls down and make it about God again. Maybe you have been resistant, you know you're not living the right way, you've got sin in your life, and you've been resistant to the truth that's coming. And you know, you see it outside the walls, you hear it, 
but you just won't let it penetrate. If you want to live in destruction, just stay where you are. But if you want to be free, knock the walls down, let the truth in. Let's stand together, every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.